Welcome to Clearly KC, a podcast produced by the National Keratoconus Foundation, featuring information about life with keratoconus. I am your host, Dr. Melissa Barnett. Today's episode is about keratoconus personality. I am honored to introduce you to my good friend and colleague, Dr. Muriel Shornack. Dr. Shornack received her OD degree from the Illinois College of Optometry and completed a residency in primary eye care. She is a consultant in the Department of Ophthalmology at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and holds the rank of Associate Professor in the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine. She is a founding member of the Scleral Lens Education Society and the SCOPE Study Team. Welcome, Dr. Shornack. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Barnett. Delightful to be here. And it's always fun to talk to a friend. Wonderful. So let's get started. The literature neglects to confirm a keratoconus personality, even though people with keratoconus tend to score differently on personality scales compared with controls. Dr. Shornak, is there such a thing as a keratoconus personality? I would really hesitate to equate a corneal ectatic disease with any particular personality or personality disorder. I think that patients with chronic disease, be it eye disease, back pain, have certain challenges, and those challenges may push them to a particular way of looking at or viewing or reacting to the world. But I wouldn't say that there's a paraplegic personality, just as I wouldn't say that there's a keratoconus personality. That being said, uh, keratoconus patients certainly do have some challenges that might be a little bit unique compared to other eye disease. The keratoconus can most certainly impact quality of life. So I think uh, there are some challenges that we as eye care providers need to be aware of uh, as we're caring for these patients. That is exactly right on. And we're going to get into the details of those in just a little bit. It has been hypothesized that the stage of life at which keratoconus typically presents plays a crucial role in personality and the development of coping mechanisms. We published this. It's been published elsewhere. Do you agree or disagree with this? I completely agree with this. Think back to when you were 10, 12, 14. That's middle school age. I can't really think of too many other conditions that present in middle school that are invisible to the average observer, but can have such a profound impact on a person's ability to navigate in a visually centered world. So I can certainly understand why the diagnosis of vision-threatening disease during that time period could be a tough thing to handle for a lot of patients. I think the time at which they are diagnosed and the fact that this is an invisible disease, their classmates don't know what it is. And their classmates, frankly, can't understand what it means not to be able to see well, because the vast majority of kids at that age can see very well indeed with a pair of glasses or contact lenses. So these kids are really a little isolated at a very crucial period for development. And that's right on. And the 
period could be a little later too. So late teens, early 20s, even later 20s, where we see that glasses and contact lens prescriptions are changing and changing. There's more astigmatism. There could be more myopia. And actually making that diagnosis sooner rather than later is really important to stabilize cross-linked the cornea, to stabilize it so that there is not progression. But I agree with you. It's really that stage of life when keratoconus can be diagnosed that really plays a role in one's personality just in general. There you go. I was actually reading an article that was published in 2023, uh, a review of the effect of keratoconus patients' welfare out of, oh, Russia. Uh, The researchers suggested that cross-linking actually be helpful in allowing patients to avoid some of the personality disorders that we see in some of our older keratoconus patients. And that makes sense to me. If you can, in in this process, before an individual has lost significant vision, it would make perfect sense to me that would help to eliminate some of the challenges that person would face later. So all about early diagnosis, all about cross-linking when appropriate. Anything we can do to keep these people seeing normally is so important. And of course, scleral lenses play a role there too. And Oh, just a little. Yes. Yeah, forget about that. I am a little biased. Yeah, we're both a little biased. Scleral lenses have been shown to improve the quality of light, especially those who have more significant keratoconus versus those who have more mild keratoconus. So after cross-linking, stabilizing the cornea, then we have scleral lenses that can provide really good vision and comfort and improve quality of life. And this has been shown in multiple studies. Significantly. Yes, absolutely. And it's encouraging to note that scleral lenses are becoming more and more accepted by the eye care community. The SCUB study in 2015 indicated that scleral lenses were the second choice for corneal ectasia from most providers. And by the time we repeated that study in 2020, uh, 46%, I believe, of providers were listing scleral lenses as their first choice treatment for keratoconus. I guess my thought is, if somebody wants to wear a corneal lens, they are welcome to do it. We actually did some comparisons between corneal and scleral lens wearers and found that both of them have their challenges, but uh, scleral lens wearers do tend to be a little bit more comfortable. when you think about uh, an active young adult playing soccer, dirt biking, it makes so much sense to put a lens on that will stay on the eye a little bit more easily than a corneal lens and will also be a whole lot more comfortable. I remember treating patients so 20 years ago before we were really fitting a lot of scleral lenses and they'd come in and they'd say, oh yeah, I lost my contact. I was out, got a piece of dust behind my eye and it just teared right out. So it's lovely to have that option that's more stable, can provide great vision, um, can really keep patients out of the surgery realm for a little bit longer. Yes, and there have been multiple studies to support that. And in our practice, we have many patients with keratoconus that also have severe dry eye. And a scleral lens is a great option there as well. We actually surveyed through the Naphtal Keratoconus Foundation, patients with keratoconus and discovered that indeed they did have significant dry eye symptoms. That is not uncommon at all when you think about the fact that 
lot of them have atopic disease. That's an immune modulated condition. So it makes perfect sense that they would have dry eye disease on top of it. Sclera lenses can improve OSDI scores in patients with keratoconus. Just lenses can improve vision in patients with ocular surface disease. Thank you for sharing your research there too. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a study and to get your opinion on it. So this study was published in 2021. It was 94 patients with keratoconus who had complete ophthalmic and psychiatric examinations. And the study reported that 37% of people with keratoconus had a psychiatric diagnosis, 13.8% had moderate to severe depression, and 21% had moderate to severe anxiety. Does this match your clinical experience? Certainly, patients with keratoconus can be anxious. A corollary to that may be the fact that a fair percentage of patients with keratoconus have trouble finding someone who can give them answers about their disease. In a scope survey that we did, about two-thirds of patients found that their provider kept them well-informed, but that left a third of patients who felt like they were still searching for answers. If you've got a condition that makes it difficult for you to see, you're not getting answers. You don't have somebody saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. This is never going to make you black blind. I promise it won't do that. We're going to keep you in contact lenses as long as we can. There are new developments in contact lenses all the time that are going to let you see better uh, as time goes on. And if we absolutely need to, we will proceed to surgery and just reassure them that we're going to do everything we can every step of the way to make sure that they can see and function as they need to in their world. We can really alleviate a lot of anxiety. Patients are able to get connected to providers who can actually help them out. I'm actually taking a look at a study from 2018 that showed that the incidence of depression in patients with keratoconus is close to 40%. There are certainly studies out there that link and mental health issues with patients with keratoconus. And if you think about this, this is not surprising. Uh, anybody with any disease, any physical disease, can have attendant mental health issues along with that. Was it Jeff Wallin's studies that, or the CLEC studies that showed that people with keratoconus scored about the same as folks with state three or four AMD on quality of life scales. Right, macular degeneration, yeah. That's astonishing. So here are these young, healthy people walking around trying to get through the most productive parts of their lives with disease that is as disabling as stage three or four macular degeneration. It really almost speaks to their resilience. It's not surprising at all that some of them have mental health issues. But I think the thing that surprises me and makes me admire these patients is the fact that they just keep going. That's exactly right. I find that my patients with keratoconus inspire me, which is why I'm doing this podcast. Absolutely. So they do. So this ties in a question from a patient. And if you have any questions that you'd like us to cover on the Clearly KC podcast, please contact the National Keratoconus Foundation. The question is, are there doctors who specialize in keratoconus? Oh, absolutely. There are ophthalmologists, corneal specialists who have a 
great interest in keratoconus. Now, if you need surgery, you should probably go to see one of them. If you think you need cross-linking or if your optometrist tells you you need cross-linking, then by all means, go to an ophthalmologist. In general, optometrists are probably doctors who are more likely to know more about the latest options for contact lenses. We found in our scope study that the patients who were seeing ophthalmologists were more likely to be wearing corneal lenses, whereas the patients who were seeing optometrists were more likely to be wearing scleral lenses. Just a little bit of a different practice pattern there. We've got ophthalmology community, we've got the optometry community, and we also have opticians who are very good at fitting scleral lenses or corneal lenses or hybrid lenses, for that matter. So there's a whole plethora of professionals who can help you out. Now, you may run into a little bit of trouble if you attempt to go to an ophthalmologist, a general ophthalmologist, or a general optometrist for this care, but the cornea specialties, along with people who are members of various sections in the American Academy of Optometry, or people like Melissa, who are members of the Scleral Lens Education Society, they'd all be great resources for you. And most places will have uh, websites. For instance, the American Academy of Optometry has a website where you can identify people with a particular interest in cornea or contact lens. Scleral Lens Education Society is another great resource for patients. And, and the National Keratoconus Foundation. Foundation. I can't forget that. Another great resource. Lowering at me. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, what sort of advice do you have for people and their families who are newly diagnosed with keratoconus? I think the first thing that I would like to tell them is that this is going to impact your life. There's no question about it. But we have contact lens options now and surgical options that are going to significantly reduce that negative impact over time. And if we can get you tied into the system early, follow you closely, we should be able to preserve good vision for you for your whole life. That would be number one. I think sometimes just laying out the groundwork that, yep, this is going to be a pain, but you're still going to be able to have a full life. You will be able to visually participate in things that you want to do. I think sometimes that's reassuring. I would also encourage them to find a provider with whom they can develop a long-term relationship. Because as keratoconus progresses, you're going to need different lenses. You might be able to start out with a standard soft lens. Maybe you'll do cross-linking. You might progress to a scleral lens. You might find that there are some tasks for which you still like wearing your soft lens and other tasks for which you like wearing your scleral lenses. So finding a provider who is willing to listen to your concerns and address those concerns appropriately is really important. One thing that I found over the past couple of years is that what I want isn't necessarily what patients want. <laughs> One of my mentors when I first arrived at Mayo used to say, the patient is the one with the disease. And he's so right. I used to take it as meaning I'm not responsible. The patient has to deal with it. So if a glaucoma patient didn't take their medication, I would tell myself, oh, the patient's the one with the disease. If they don't want to treat it, they don't have to. But I've come to understand that what it means is that I need to present the patient with options, and then they need to choose the options that fit the best with their life and their visual priorities 
along with everything else. I think of a four-point balance here. We need to balance comfort, clarity, convenience, and cost. And every patient is going to come down a little bit differently on those. So it's really important to identify a provider who will help patients navigate and identify what their priorities are and then suggest solutions that would help them meet those goals. That's great advice. And knowing that we have all these options, we can always change. And we can start with one. We can go to another. We could use two or three on a patient's lifestyle and what works for them. So I think having a practitioner who knows the resources, who can guide the patient is really important. And there are many doctors who specialize in keratoconus that can help. Absolutely. I actually use a similar thought process to the thought process that my low vision colleagues use. They're always asking the patient, okay, what task would you like to be able to do visually that you cannot do? And then they will customize a solution for that task. And I think that we as providers for patients who have keratoconus would do well to take a similar approach. Ask our patients with keratoconus, what can you not do that you would like to be able to do because of your keratoconus? Or what is working well with your contact lenses? What is not working well with your contact lenses? And then just see if we can really personalize that. And Dr. Barnett, as you said, we may come up with different solutions for different visual needs. And that's fine. We just have to be creative. But that's the fun of it, isn't oh, it? Oh, so fun. And we have such great options, which is fantastic. Don't we? We have surgical options. Absolutely. We have contact lens options. And these are lifelong options, which are great yes. to prevent the need for a corneal transplant. Which is fabulous. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the need for corneal transplant as the patients who are now undergoing cross-linking progress. I expect and hope that we will take a look at transplants or full thickness transplants 40 years from now as something that is done rarely. It will be an interesting historical reference, but I would dearly love patients with keratoconus not to have to undergo those. They're talented. Oh, most definitely. So we're living history. Is that what you're saying? I am indeed. <laughs> we always are. The last question is that it's been proposed that more advanced keratoconus negatively impacts the quality of life. What advice do you have for doctors who work with patients with keratoconus? I think number one would just be an increased awareness of the mental health challenges that these patients may be facing. Empathy can go a long ways. One of the things that has been identified as part of the keratoconus personality is that these patients tend to have challenging relationships with their doctor. What if part of the reason for that is that the doctors aren't really listening to or empathizing what these patients are experiencing? I have no idea what the world looks like to a patient with keratoconus, but I can imagine that if I had double or triple headlights whenever I was driving, it would be extremely disruptive to what I want to do. So 
may not be a bad idea, in addition to all the great optical things that we do, to just ask the patient, okay, how are you doing in general? Multiple can sometimes cause some trouble. And I know in your paper, you mentioned that two-hit theory of you can survive the first hit, but then that second hit comes along and that takes you down. I wonder if that can happen throughout the course of a patient's life. They're doing okay with their keratoconus, and then all of a sudden, they lose a job, and they have to find another job. And they do have a visual impairment, even though it's not something that's obvious. Get cognizant of that, figure out what's going on with the whole patient, and develop a relationship with a mental health care provider who can potentially help those patients with chronic disease just navigate life in as full a way as possible, despite that disease and the mental health challenges that go along with it. That is great advice. We should be providing empathy, support with mental health support as well, and resources for our patients with caregivers. We don't have to be the mental health providers, but just if I see somebody with AMD and go, oh yeah, that's wet, I'm definitely going to send them on. Or if I see somebody with Sjogren syndrome who's not hooked up with a rheumatologist, I'm going to refer them to a rheumatologist. If I see a patient with chronic vision-threatening disease who is having mental health issues, I want to be able to refer them on for mental health counseling as well. Great advice. Thank you so much for joining us on Clearly KC. Please listen to the Clearly KC podcast on Podbean or your favorite podcast app to subscribe and get future episodes. For now, I'm Dr. Melissa Barnett. Please join us next time on Clearly KC. And thank you, Dr. Sharnak. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for asking.